everyone doing today? All right, thank you, four of you, for answering that. Hey, before we get started, uh, I'm defeating the purpose that we wanted to do earlier today by just making two announcements, by making two more. But um, the rest of the time will be good. Um, I want to invite everyone to uh, Tuesday nights at 6.30. Uh, down uh, behind the church, we're going to start playing Ultimate Frisbee. It's for all ages and ability levels, uh, from really good to what's a Frisbee, everywhere in between, we want you to play. And so it's for all ages, Patterson, uh, my five-year-old plays, and so we'd love to have you. And uh, So just come here, 6.30, uh, starting on Tuesday nights, uh, weather permitting, and uh, come join us for that. Also, um, I'm going to ask some of you, if you're already on your phones, uh, and not on like Instagram and stuff like that, that you're actually on like the Bible app, um, there's a way that you can actually follow along with the sermon. And if you go to your menu on your app, and you click, uh, let me make sure I'm telling you what to do, menu, find your menu, the three little bars, you click events on the tab that comes up, and you click our church, um, I'm sure Rolling Plains United Methodist has a great sermon this morning, but you don't really want that one. You want this one, and you can follow along. It's got all the scripture there for you. You can make notes on it and things like that. So uh, that's one way if you want to follow along, you're able to do that. Uh, Everybody else, we can stick to this old-fashioned thing called a book, and we can read the Bible too uh, through that. So let's pray, and we'll get started this morning. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word that uh, that speaks in new to us. And so as we go through scripture, maybe we've read it one time, maybe we've read it a hundred. Uh, we pray that no matter what today, it would be something new, uh, something that uh, we can take in our lives and, and to use it. Father, I pray that uh, you would speak uh, nothing more and nothing less today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever found something and you've wanted to keep it and not let anyone else have it? Okay. Maybe not recently, but if you're five, you have. Right? You don't want, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, your one-year-old little brother running around and stealing all your toys. Isn't that right, Patterson? But you don't want, if you have something, you keep it, you want it, you don't want anyone else to have it. A couple weeks ago, I invited some friend, mutual friends of ours who were down in Bowling Green with us, but since moved up near... Um, Cleveland to come and celebrate Lindsay's birthday with us. Um, Sandy is really famous for making Rice Krispie treats, like really good Rice Krispie treats, like what they serve in heaven, Rice Krispie treats, like that good. And so she, she brought those down, apparently, for us to have. Now, I've seen one of them, and that's it. We apparently don't have any more. And I believe there was more than just one of them when they started. Lindsay, I guess, pulled the It's My Birthday card, and she's had the rest of them. I don't know how many started. I don't know how many she made, but I've had one. It was good. I probably wanted more, but she found something good, and she wanted to keep it for herself. And honestly, I would probably do the same thing if they were given to me. If we find something good, we like to keep it. And if it's difficult to hold on to, we want to make sure that we do everything in our power to hold on to it. So last week we talked about finding wisdom. 
And we said that finding wisdom happens when we know Jesus. When we don't just come and sit in a church and are distracted by everything else. When we don't just play religion. When we don't just settling, settle for being around Jesus. We choose to know him and to know his word. That's when we become wise. The question then is, how do you hold on to it? If we have found it, how do we hold on to it? And the thing is, we live in the middle of a spiritual battle. There's the side of God and there's the side of Satan. And both of those want you, but in completely different ways. God wants you because he wants to have a relationship with you. Satan wants you so that you don't have a relationship with God. He doesn't like you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want your relationship. He just doesn't want you to have a relationship with God. And so when we say, I'm not going to choose just to have this kind of play faith. It's going to be something real to me. We should actually really expect for the other side to start fighting back. Because the truth is, there's going to be pushback. Because the closer that we are to Jesus is the further we are from where Satan wants us to be. The closer we are to Jesus makes Satan nervous. And so he's going to do everything in his power to try and steal us from that, that position. N.T. Wright says this about, uh, in his commentary of James, he says, Quite a challenge it was then, and it is now, and has always been. The moment you decide to follow Jesus is the moment to expect trials to begin. The moment you decide, my faith will be real, my faith is going to be of substance and of consequence. You should expect something to come in and to challenge that. And so if we've made this decision, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to gain wisdom by listening to what he says, we then should expect for things to come in and try to distract our ears from hearing and distract our eyes from seeing what God wants us to do. And so how do we maintain this focus? Well, in the tail end of the section of scripture that we're going to read today. Yes, we're going to do more than one verse today. Um, James 1, starting in verse 16. James says this, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James says you maintain your focus on God and you maintain wise living by looking for things that are good, that are perfect, and that are unchanging. Because those are the things from God. Things that are good, perfect, and unchanging. But the problem with that is so often we settle for okay, close enough, and momentarily. Don't we? We... We don't wait for good, perfect, and unchanging. We say, you know what, that's, that's close enough. That's close enough. Or, I know this might not last, but for now, it's going to meet the need that I, I have. And what Satan wants us to do is to not wait for those things to be brought to our attention and to sell out and to give up and to chase after other things. But it's wisdom that it allows us to see what is coming from above and what is coming from somewhere else. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom allows us to see, yes, this is from God, or no, this is from somewhere else. But there's really two different things that the enemy uses to try to distract us from living a life of wisdom. And those are trials and temptations. 
Those are the two things that Satan uses to try to distract our eyes from looking at wisdom, from distracting our ears from hearing what Jesus has to say. He throws these two things at us, and because they are real, and if our faith is real, they're real, we have to ask the question, how do we hold on to wisdom in the midst of all of these things? See, James understood this, and he understood the audience that he was writing to. James was writing to an audience that was already being persecuted. He was writing to an audience that was already being tempted on a daily basis because this thing called the church was getting ready to explode and to grow, and Satan was trying everything in his power to keep it from doing so. And so he wanted to encourage those who were listening to this word being read to them, he wanted to encourage them, this is how you stand firm. So James 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But perseverance finishes its work so that you may mature, be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James said, When you have persecution come your way, be joyful about it. James had no idea about the American church when he wrote this. Because we do not consider it pure joy when we face trials of any kind. In fact, it doesn't even have to be a trial. It has to be McDonald's messing up our order for us to be really mad and get on Facebook and complain about how terrible the service was at this McDonald's or I can't believe that this clothes manufacturer makes this or I can't believe that this has, that has nothing to do with me is happening. I feel so persecuted. We are terrible at this. But James says consider it pure joy. When this happens. And you've got to think about the audience that he's writing to. He's writing to a Jewish Christian audience. And they have a mindset that, unfortunately, we still carry with us today, which says, if something bad happens to you, you deserve it. Because you did something wrong. Go back and look at the book of Job. Look at the wise advice from his friends. Job, why don't you just admit that you did something wrong that caused all of this? And that's not the case. N.T. Wright says this, I'm sorry, i got to have myself. Um, we, we have to understand that when persecution comes, it's because you've actually been found worthy enough that your faith scares the other side. That's what happens. When persecution comes, it's because you're getting too close to who you were created to be, and the other side doesn't want you to see that. And so James says, that's why you consider it joy. Consider a joy that your faith is real enough that it scares the other side. But notice that he says that you have to let all of this happen to finish the work so that you may be complete. We like to get out at the very first instance of any hardship. But James says you must stand firm and stand tall in the middle of all of this. There's a man in Bowling Green, Kentucky. He was an elder at the church I came from. His name was John Hawley. And John uh, was retired, and he took up knife making. This was his hobby. And so he invited us out to his, his garage where he, or his workshop where he made these knives, and he showed us all these different things that he had made. And then he told us about his quest to become a master smith. Doesn't that just sound cool that you can call yourself a master smith? He said, I, I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't just make knives, but I made good knives. 
And so he told us about this test that they did. And I've got a few pictures from the internet. These are not of John. They're from Google. And um, so you, first, you had to make the knife exactly the way that they told you to. You had to meet certain specifications to do it. Test number one is that you had to hang a rope there. It had to be at least one inch in diameter. You had to mark it where you were going to cut it and give yourself a couple inches each way in case you missed. And then with one swing, it had to slice it. So your knife had to cut it completely through. So that was test one. Then they would look at your knife. They would look and see if it had chipped or if anything had happened. And then they would give it back to you and say, okay, here's test number two. Test number two is that they had to chop through a two-by-four two times completely through. They had to chop through it two times completely through. When they got done, they would give it to the judges. They would look at it. They would see, is it still in working order? Does it meet the certain specifics that it has to meet? I don't have a picture of this because it would feel weird Googling it. The third thing you had to do was shave the hair of your arm with the knife that you just used to chop wood. And it had to not cut you. It had to just take the hair off of your arm. And then they would look at it, they would inspect it, and they would say, okay, here's the final test. And the final test was this thing that you took hours to build, they put in a contraption and bent it 90 degrees. And they let go of it when it reached 90 degrees, and they had to see, does it crack, does it break, does it shatter in two, does it hold up? Eventually, it gets back to like from here to there. Like it never goes back to where it was supposed to be. But if you're able to do all of these things, you are a master smith. Your knife was made and it was good. Guess what? He's made plenty of knives that looked a whole lot better than the one he put into the trial. But the one he put into the trial was the one that withstood the test and made him who he was. Do you see where I'm going with this? We may look good before persecution comes, but we find out what we're made of when everything comes and we're still able to stand. When we see it as joy, when we see it that there's something real happening, this is where N.T. Wright comes in. He says, when a Christian is tested, it shows something real is happening. That's why it is. Persecution happens because something real is happening, and because something real is happening, Satan does not want it to continue. Now, just because we find it pure joy when things happen, when trials come, it does not mean that it doesn't hurt. And it doesn't mean that it's not painful. It doesn't mean that it doesn't disrupt everything about us. That's why James continues here in verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. James says the way you maintain joy in the midst of all this is you ask God for help. It's a pretty good source to ask for help. You ask God for wisdom. Now, there's some red flags, I think, in some of your minds already. Because I know there were red flags in mine in certain times in my life. Because I asked for God in the middle of some trials and temptations in my life. And I asked God to get me out of it. And a lot of times, whatever I prayed for continued to happen. And so when I read that 
if you ask God, he is generous and he wants to give to you, and what I asked him for didn't happen, I kind of say, you know what, James, I don't know if you're, you know what you're talking about. But James doesn't say just ask for anything. He says, ask for what? Wisdom. If you ask for wisdom, God will answer that. But see, the thing is, too many times we ask God for a storm to pass instead of asking God what we can be learning while we're in the midst of it. Too often when things come our way, we ask God to protect us and prevent us from getting any type of persecution. Let the storm go away. Let it pass over us instead of asking God, this is happening. What do you want? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? Proverbs 8.34 says, Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. There's a storm going on around us, and so God says, come and knock. Does this sound familiar? Ask, seek, knock. Knock on my door, and I will come and give you wisdom. But so often what we do is it's raining outside, it's storming outside, and so we come and we knock on the door, and God doesn't answer in the time that we think he should answer, or he gives us an answer that we don't like. And so what do we do? We go next door. But next door is not God, and even if it's well-meaning, and even if it's seemingly good, it is not lasting. And we end up doing things that we shouldn't do. God wants us to be able to see what he sees when persecution comes. He wants us to be able to have joy because we can look around and say, this is happening because I'm doing the right thing. This is happening because I've devoted my life to Christ and because I want to gain wisdom. This is why all these outside forces are coming at me. When persecution comes, wisdom is what allows us to find joy and pain and sorrow and suffering. But it's not just temptations, right? I mean, the first thing that, that comes at us is from outward forces trying to get us to, to abandon our faith and abandon our hope. The second thing, though, is, is temptation. James gives us a description of how this works. Skip ahead a little bit to verse 13. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James wants it very clear that when temptation comes, it's not from God. If he was writing in 2017, he would probably say, God is not like your high school boyfriend or girlfriend who you had to prove your love to every single day, right? He's not going to put stuff in your way and say, do you still love me? Because God has put the cross in the way of the world and says, yes, I love you. And he's not going to drive a wedge in between your relationship with him. He worked far too hard and gave up so very much so that that would be a real thing. He's not going to drive a wedge. So when temptation comes, we then have to ask, where is it coming from? And the the truth is we don't like the answer. Because it's far easier to blame God than it is to blame ourselves. Notice where he says this comes from. He is tempted when they are dragged away by whose our own evil desire. It comes from within. And what James describes is kind of a life cycle of sin. There's a desire that comes inside of us. And maybe that desire in and of itself is not sinful. It may be a desire for, for love, for belonging, acceptance, security. Those things are not inherently wrong. 
But what happens is that desire, when it is met with something that is, or tried to be met by something that is not God, that's called sin. When we go to anyone else besides God to fulfill the desires that are inside of us, that is what sin is. And sin is born, and sin always leads to death. Now, if this is all that we knew, wouldn't it make us pretty good at trying to avoid sin if we saw that sin always leads to death? If we looked at this and we said, this is the way it always works, I need to be very careful. But here's what happens. It's kind of like the lifestyle or the life cycle of a human, right? So desire is conceived, a baby is conceived, desire is born into sin, a baby is born into the world. Now, you and I, I hope you haven't done this, have not gone to the hospital or gone to the house of a new family and looked down at that baby and been like, this is the ugliest baby I have ever seen. What happened here? Oh, never mind. No, you wouldn't say you wouldn't say that, right? You wouldn't go in there and say, that is, "What is wrong with this? It is terrible." No, you lie, all right, and you say, which is a sin, but you lie, and you say, "That's beautiful," or maybe it's like a backhanded compliment, like they look just like you. No, you, know, you don't say something like that, but you you compliment them, right? And the thing is with sin is oftentimes when it comes out, we look at it and we're like, it's not that bad. It's, it's not that bad. Or so-and-so does a whole lot worse. But the thing is, no matter if it's a cute sin or an ugly sin, it all leads to death. 100 out of 100 times, 1,000 out of 1,000 times, sin always leads to death. It leads to the death of a marriage, a death of someone's sobriety, a death of someone's job, someone's family. It leads to someone's physical death, or it even leads to someone's spiritual death. Sin always leads to death. And given this light, it makes a little bit more sense why he includes what he does in verses 9 through 11. He says this, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. This makes more sense in light of the life cycle of sin, because this is how it works. There is a desire. Once again, it may not be inherently wrong. My desire is that my family is taken care of. My family is secure. Maybe it is a selfish desire. We say, you know what? I know I've got the 2013 model. I know it works completely fine, but I really want like the 2020 model today. We start saying, I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want something else. But you know what? Either way, whether it's not a sinful desire or it is a sinful desire, if we go to God or we go to something other than God for it, it becomes sin. And so what we start doing is we cut corners in order to make more money at work. We start doing things that are unethical to try to bolster us up. We spend more time reading stock reports than we do the Bible. And we sacrifice our family in order to make more money at our business. And what happens is 100 out of 100 times, sin leads to death. And what happens is that money lets us down. It leaves us empty. We may have a lot of it, 
but we realize we don't have anything. Or maybe we've allowed it to trick us into thinking that we're so full that we don't need anything else. But death always happens, and so it kills our family, kills our marriage, it kills our relationships. And because we decide that we're rich now and we're okay, it kills things like our sense of justice. It kills things like compassion and empathy. Because sin kills. You see, this is how this works. Trials come from the outside. Temptation comes from the inside. But just like when James talked about how you are to stand firm in the midst of trials, James says you stand firm in the midst of temptation. Verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Having stood the test. The crown of life is not a participation trophy. Right? It's not. Right? It's not like the worst kid on the team still gets the trophy. The crown of life is given to the ones who endure. It's the ones who look at everything happening outside and inside, and they still choose to stand. That's why he kind of echoes Paul in this, in his talk about the armor of God, Ephesians 6.13. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. We stand in the midst of everything that's going around us. You see, wisdom is what reminds us to keep our desires in check and to seek heavenly reward instead of earthly gain. Wisdom is what happens when that desire comes into our lives for us to say, go to God with it. It's what says, only God can fulfill this. It's, I know this is really hard. I know that your, your body, your hormones, your friends, your whatever is pulling you in all these different directions, but go to God with this. That's what wisdom does. We actually see a beautiful example of this, and we talked about this in our Wednesday Bible study, um, Proverbs 30. Look at this prayer, 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of my God. This is what wisdom does. Wisdom says, just give me what I need. It doesn't say give me too much, because he knows if I have too much, I might just forget God along in the process. Or if I have too little, I might resort to other means of getting more, and it won't please God. When trials and temptations come our way, we are called to look for wisdom and to keep our eyes focused on him. Now, after 23 minutes or so of going through this, that may, may have given you the impression that it's easy. It's not. It's right, but it's not easy. C.S. Lewis talks about how the entire human race is kind of walking through a giant house. And we're trying to find meaning, and we're trying to find all these things. And so what we're doing is we're going up and we're knocking on doors. And he talks about how different people are trying out different doors, but he gives a wise advice to Christians. He says this, And above all, you must be asking which door is the true one. Not which pleases you best by its paint and its paneling. Ask for something true. 
James says, ask or look for something that is good, that is perfect, that is unchanging. And don't settle for anything else. That may mean you're in the midst of a trial in your life right now where things from the outside keep bombarding you. Know that you can find joy as you wait for what is good, true, and unchanging. Maybe it's a daily battle for you and you wake up and there's temptation everywhere. You know what your body is trying to get you to do. You know what your friends are trying to get you to do. You know what your coworker is trying to get you to do. But you decide every single day, I'm just going to look for what's good and perfect and unchanging. And I'm not going to settle for anything else. If you make that decision, know that probably more of that stuff is coming your way. But know that there's a crown of righteousness that's waiting for you. There's a crown of life that you get for enduring everything that comes your way. Here's what we're taking home today. Trials and temptations are going to come. But keep wisdom by focusing on the gifts of God and pass the test. Let's pray. Father, I know, um, I think we all know that your life is better than anything this world can try to give us. We know that your decrees are better, your laws are better, your grace is better. We, we know this. But in the midst of storms from the outside or in storms on the inside, sometimes we just lose track of that. Sometimes we just get caught up in what's going on around us and we just start looking for different outlets. But Father, those will always leave us broken. They'll always leave us empty because they are not you. And so, Father, I don't know what each person in this room is dealing with right now, but I know that you do. And I know that in the midst of whatever that is, you want to be glorified in that. You want us to see Jesus, to know Jesus, and to gain wisdom from Jesus. And so we pray, Father, in the midst of our storm, show us what we can learn. And we pray, Father, in the midst of our temptations, help us to stand firm and to look at what is good, that is perfect, and that is unchanging. Let us never trade our heavenly reward for momentarily uh, having earthly gain. Father, we pray today as we uh, wrap up our, our service that you would just continue to work in our hearts, that you would continue to work in our minds and keep us focused as we leave this place. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we are on his side, and we thank you for the joy that that brings to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, as we sing our, our invitation song, we do invite you to come and, and to accept Christ for the very first time. Um, it, it's hard, but it is so worth it. And we invite you to come this morning to do that. Uh, maybe you just need prayer. You're in the middle of trials or temptations in your life, and you just need prayer. I mean, I'd love to pray with you. Our elders are up here. They would love to pray with you as well. Maybe today is the day you say, you know what, I, wisdom is, is great, it's, but it's going to be hard holding on to this. And you say, I just need some people around me who will constantly help me out. That's what the church is for. And we'd love to invite you into this one. So if you have a decision to make, I'm going to be standing up front here. We'd love to come and, and talk to you. But no matter what, today, let's go home knowing that wisdom is worth it. Just Jesus is worth it. Let's be standing as we sing. Softly and tenderly, first and last verse.
this. Sorry for fiddling with it half the sermon, but it was falling off. We're so glad you're here this morning. Hey, don't forget to sign up for a small group out there as you guys leave. Uh, It's a great way to connect and a great way to get to know uh, folks. Life's not meant to be done by by yourself, Um, and we're going to have a great time uh, getting to know each other, so make sure that you go and uh, sign up for that. Uh, Thank you for being here. Be strong. Know that God is on your side as you go this week. Let's uh, finish with the song. Jesus, name above all names.